0: Today is May 19th. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Oki, Nagana go Che Stokom Aki. My name is Red Thunder Woman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south in the opposed US-Canadian border are the Blackfeet and north of the border, the Siksika, Gunai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are Treaty 7 signed September 22, 1877, with signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Wesley, Chinakee, Bearspaw Nations of the Stoney, and the Dene from Sutina. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. I honor the Blackfoot as the elders and members have been kind to me on my red rug journey. Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name. I was born in Calgary or in Blackfoot Mokinstis as Michelle Elliot, an English name which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dane or Satu Dane, but my Indian Act Imposed status card issued by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. My father is so Canadian. I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act Imposed status card. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene Nation is a visitor to this area of Klincho Tine indehay in Satu Dene, meaning many horse town, named after the Calgary Stampede. Land acknowledgments are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous, as well as honoring the host as the guest, and acknowledging your role as a treaty partner. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous. I just share what I know as I walk down my red road. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian where you can pledge and support. Thank you to the previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. If you cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or your questions. I also have a YouTube channel that you can go and subscribe. Go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. Well, today's a super special day for me because I've been super excited. You all know I ran for Ward 10 in the last election. Well, now in this election for Ward 7, I have a new candidate, Marilyn North Pagan. Marilyn, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Bookie, okay, Michelle, and uh, thank you for inviting me here today. This is uh, a pleasure to be on a uh, award nomination podcast. So that's uh, absolutely amazing and fantastic experience for me this morning. Uh, once, once again, my name is Marilyn North Pagan. The people of the Blackfoot territory know me as Ninaki, which actually translates to chief woman. I was uh, gifted that name in, on the Gun Nation by my elder Ruth Scalplock, who told me that would actually protect me in the non-native and native community going forward in leadership. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's a little bit about me. And um, th- once again, thank you for inviting me here. It's a, it's a pleasure to sit down and actually have my voice heard. And uh, so, um, yeah, it's great to be here.
0: Yeah, it's great to be here. You're the first Blackfoot to run for city council, man. That's amazing. That makes me really happy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you, this decision didn't didn't come very easily. Because of all the um, issues that we're dealing with in the Treaty 7 Nation, especially when it comes down to um, the anti-maskers as as they've been posing as, but we all know what they really are. Um, There was quite a, a backlash, I think, not even within 12 hours of me announcing that candidacy that they started to actually knock at my door. So um, I, we're taking this in a positive manner and trying not to focus on those kind of negativities in society. I know it was it's still here and it was a large factor in me making the decision to do this. Mm-hmm. So once again, once you make the hardest decision of your life, you just have to take it 110% and keep going forward, even though those things exist.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I um, remember when I was door knocking, uh, some of the things that people would say about Nenshi. It really broke my heart, and even me. Like I door knocked one place, it was a gay couple, and they looked at me and said, "Well, you look white enough." And I was like, hmm, "Wow, this is how it's going to be." Hey, bud. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. And that's the mentality that you know that we have to start calling out, especially here in Calgary, because. The fact of the matter is everybody here, they're visitors to this, to the Blackfoot nation, uh, it, you know, their territory, which is my territory. And we are actually attached here by our tradition, by our rights, and by, by everything that in our being since before time. So we have to start acknowledging what's already here. Yes, I at-
0: Oh my goodness! Yes, no, I was really happy that you were putting in your name. Do you want to uh, tell the folks a little bit about your experience? With, uh, geez, there's so much to talk about. We can talk about first and foremost something that um, I remember we had a discussion about that was I thought really important was I was telling you how um, non-natives really downplayed me being a mother and how important it was to me, but how as like the uh, you know liberal feminists. tried to downplay the importance of being a mom because we have such extremely different cultures and they have no understanding of the government imposed, you know, uh, policies that have been put on our people. So for me to be proud to be raising my daughter is a big deal in Indigenous circles, but in non-Indigenous circles, they actually downplayed it. Um, What
1: has your experience been like? Well, I have my view when it comes to uh, mainstream feminism also, Mm. Um, so I will well, I'll attach that to this explanation, but to actually be a native and a mother with here in Canada that was never allowed under the policy of assimilation. so you know our, our children were taken away as you know age, as early as five. And, you know, that, that's a federal government policy. That's an example of systemic racism, mm-hmm. which is why you're going to find a lot of mainstream people downplaying it, because it ha- there has been a huge denial that this systemic racism does exist in Canada. And I'm going to tell you through my family roots and experiences I've grown up with, my grandparents are residential school survivors. My father, my, my mother, our 60s scoop, I didn't even know my father. He, he passed away when I was five years old because he was so full of trauma. They, and to this day, I still don't know how he passed away. Because he was found near the railroad tracks. And that's all I was told and that's what i live with today mm-hmm. my and even me i was touched by the systemic racism and the policy of assimilation mm-hmm. i spent my 3 years in the federal indian day school and i found that out maybe 2 years ago so you know i have i have lawyers now coming to try and ask me what my experiences were and growing up in the community our generation there's not many of us alive anymore we've all died by suicide drugs alcohol addictions because when I was growing up, that that parental bond was already broken. I didn't have a father. My mother didn't know how to parent me. My grandparents were, you know, they know, knew how to love me, but they didn't know how to connect with me. So I found it like I was stuck in a generation where we were fending for ourselves,
0: mm-hmm. trying,
1: and it, we were always stuck in survival, survival mode. And you know the residential school people and the 60 scoop people, they brought a lot of dysfunction to our community. So when my daughter was actually when she came into the world, and even then her story has has trauma related to it. And you know I'll share with you, Michelle. I actually adopted this little girl when she was three years old because my sister uh, committed suicide when she was 19 years old, and she mm-hmm. left this little girl. So you know who am I going to turn around and put her back into the system? Where she would have continued on this cycle of intergenerational trauma.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: it was up to me to actually put my foot down and say, you know what? It's time to actually break this cycle mm-hmm. and to, to learn how to be a mother and to learn how to connect with my, my daughter. And you know, that doesn't come as an individual thing, that comes as a community thing because, you know, we have a large community here in Calgary that holds us to that that you know to that commitment that we were going to break our intergenerational trauma Mm -hmm. and for me being a mother is the most important thing right now because i have the most healthiest kid in the world because she has a mom and she has that connection i wasn't allowed to have that so you know when it comes down to mainstream feminism i'm going to tell you you know they try to absorb the aboriginal uh you know female uh persona in a lot of ways Feminism, on the other hand, they fought for equality, whereas Native women, we, we weren't looking for equality. We were just, we, we already, we, we were ahead, we were leaders in our traditional rights. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to seek equality to be with men. You know, just like an eagle has a right wing and a left wing, they fly in different patterns, but they all move to the same direction. That's the way we should be seeing things. We don't want to be equal with men. You know, we have our own direction and we have our own way. We need to have, uh, and, and not, not even an alignment, but we just have to have our own ways and we all move in the same direction. Mm-hmm. We, shouldn't, we shouldn't be fighting for, you know, that space in this, in the community because women, Native women naturally have that traditionally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's about returning to that. And whereas mainstream feminism, they've never had that. Yeah, agreed.
0: Yeah, I, I, uh, I really found that really um, hard to comprehend why they couldn't see how different we were as Indigenous people compared to what their idea of mothering was. And I really appreciate you sharing all of that with us um, on the show and, and with me right now because, you know, a lot of people, they, they don't know they don't know what they don't know and I think hearing uh, two Indigenous women unfortunately is so rare and it shouldn't be it should be totally normalized and on TV but it isn't and here we are so you know I'm really glad that you're in this position of wanting to um, you know you are a leader you've always been a leader and for you I, I think Calgary couldn't be luckier to have you run and I, I don't think they understand the gravity and the importance of in a t- moment of reconciliation where we've always had this stupid Indian act imposed on our people, having somebody who's willing to kind of bring those two worlds together as we start to move forward like that. And that was the actual intent of treaty was for us to work together in some capacity so that we did our own thing, but we didn't interfere with each other. But it's never been like that. It's always been the opposite where we've always been interfered with. So I think that this is a really critical moment in time for non-Indigenous who are literally claimed to be committed to reconciliation, to understand this moment of how we can do some different ideas that we haven't done before if they legitimately care about reconciliation and and sharing power. And I think that is really the issue,
1: is the idea. Can they share power? Because they haven't up to now. (laughs) Yes, yes, and one of the things that we do forget about in this reconciliation movement is that we're also we tend to forget about including that truth, and we have to be able to tell the truth in order to move through that reconciliation here in Mukinsis. and we're starting to forget that.
0: Mm. One of my favorite things I seen this morning was your tweet about Langevin School, and um, I I didn't even I, I'm the gravity of saying. One of the architects of the White Goose Flying Report, which is absolutely groundbreaking nationally, I've told people this, like the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and should be looked at from every municipality, and you did it. You did it for the City of Calgary. Like, that's yes. that's incredible, and I tell people that, and they don't understand the gravity of that first, and here you are, the architect of the White Goose Flying Report, and these like school trustees have no concept of what reconciliation is none and they are committed to keeping this name even though they know how much hurt and trauma and pain it causes so i've seen that you were in support of the name change do you want to maybe talk a bit about you know trc white goose flying report and langevin all it all is interconnected they may not see it but you and i know so
1: well one thing on this journey i'm gonna tell you The amount of ignorance I found at a very high level of governance is so prevalent. It's ridiculous. Uh, If you really wanna know how I feel about that level, uh, September 10th, 2020, last year, when I gave the address from commission to city council, I actually blew up at city council and demanded to know why the level of intelligence was so low, you know, me coming in and then, in fact, the matter is one of the council members tried to talk to me that about the missing systemic racism that it didn't exist in Calgary because the London bobbies were actually based on this type of policing and I swear to God that just, that just blew my mind, you know, if you're going to give me that kind of response that tells me where your intelligence is and it's not where it's supposed to be. So that's, that's a normal for me when it comes to the high level of governance here in the city. I, I consistently run into politicians here trying to implement uh, policies on behalf of Native people um, without even acknowledging or bringing Native people to the table to ask them what their opinion is on this and there are there are many and they're still happening today oh, i'm yeah. actually i'm actually just dealing with one right now mm. so when we do talk about the white goose flying and this is this is work that's already been done mm. here in calgary since uh 2013 we started this the, this trek so when 2000, uh, 2016 came around and we actually presented that white goose flying it came on the backs of a lot of pain a lot of grief and a lot of trauma, because I'm going to tell you right now, I don't even read the beginning of the white goose flying report anymore, because I hear my, my pain and my voice through those paragraphs. And I was at a very difficult spot after realizing what Canada did to me. I realized during white goose flying and the TRC, what had happened to me in my life. And that was, that was a very traumatic traumatic experience. And for me, honestly, when I saw the, uh, systemic uh, racism forum down at city hall, I I just had this feeling of absolute disgust because we didn't need to venture that way. We provided them with a tool in 2016. They had no excuse to be ripping people open to analyze their traumas on behalf of a political agenda. That's all I saw.
0: Yes. You know what? I actually refused to participate for that reason because it was an insult to me after all of the years of advocacy I have given that they would even have the audacity. And it hurt me so hard to have people that I somewhat respected a little bit to say, oh, I had no idea. I'm like, then that means every story I told you You did not listen, you did not hear, you did not get the gravity of, and it wasn't just me. I knew it was you. I knew it was other people that, other Indigenous people that had said, listen, and we thought they were, and they weren't. So there's a lot there that really upset me too. And um, I so I understand your pain there, and I'm I'm hurt by it still, I'm not going to lie. And that's part of the reason why I have the podcast, is to talk about these things, because We are obviously being dismissed by the very people who claim they listen to us, and they use us as a checkbox. You know, they say, "Oh no, we talked to Michelle. Oh, we talked to Marilyn. Yeah, but you didn't hear us. You didn't hear a goddamn word we said."
1: Absolutely. (laughs) You know, and back when we when we when I started to actually sit at the table back in 2017, after accepting an appointment to the Calgary Police Commission, no one wanted to hear TRC. No one wanted to hear MMIWG report. It was only when society stepped up and decided that they've had enough that people, this was at the brink. We shouldn't have been brought here. You know, our committee gave city council a tool in 20, 2016 to prevent stuff like this from happening. It was a, it was a tool meant for an entire community It wasn't, you know, so honestly, I'm going to hold them accountable to that because there was no excuse for where they took the community last year. And I made that clear on my September 20th statement to city council. And And bless you you for it. (laughs) (laughs) I know I kind of lost my temper at the end there, but still, you know, I still go through those moments where when people pluck at my traumas in a very ignorant way, Mm -hmm. I'm going to let you know. That yep. you're doing that and I don't care if it's city council because that's what they did to me that day
0: there's this Nigerian um, uh, artist and she does uh, basically mental health for racialized people and she has this really great little piece where it says your anger tells you that you know your boundaries have been crossed and that's what I try to empower especially what you know, like our youth in that like when they get hurt and angry from the racism that they experience it's like you know, there's there's a boundary that we don't say certain things, and yet non-Indigenous leap all over it. <laughs> and so of yeah. course we get angry. Of course we get hurt. You know, and and the fact is is that you know it's not like the Indian Act, the TRC, all of the reports are like hidden. Like you and I are are talking about them. I'll bet you we should do a bingo and like try to figure out how many times we say these reports in a day. <laughs>
1: I do. I, I get tired of repeating myself quite often, but I've come to a point at, in this journey where I'm we're really working on patience. And you know, we have our seven teachings from our tradition, and right now I'm stuck on patience. I've been here for about two years, and I'm still continuing on that journey because I know I need to have patience in order for this behavior to change. Within my experience with building city, building the city, building communities, I, one of the biggest issues I've always had is, is patience. This is not gonna happen overnight, but what we do today is going to matter in the future. And how, that's why our native people gave us the teachings of seven generations ahead, because we need to have patience. You, it's like a rock, you throw it into the middle of, of, a, of a lake How are those ripples going to come back to you in seven years? And that was the spiel that Ruth Scalplock gave me to get Mm. me to the table to help with that white goose flying. That was the only way I was actually going to sit at that table is she made me believe that the future was in my hands and it was in my ability to change that. Mm. So we have to keep talking. We have to keep saying these words. You know, it's, it's, it's where we're at in life right now. And hopefully our children won't be doing this and won't be saying these words a million times. They'll be onto another, you know, another platform that has to be addressed moving forward.
0: Agreed. And you know what? You've brought up Ruth now twice and she's one of the mentors in my life too. And I think that it's really important for us to acknowledge, like as frustrated um, as we may get at times per generation, the generation before like the when you talk about seven generations i always talk about the strength of my ancestors right if it wasn't for them helping us say these words today giving us the strength to say these words having the patience right now when we have the most ignorant people in front of us but then for our children Right, like it's that moment in time that we were carried here off the shoulders of our ancestors. And Ruth, like she fought so hard for Awutan Healing Lodge and for um, our rights here in Calgary and Mokinstus. So, you know, I I think about the frustrations that she has gone through and and so many people before her and uh, try to remember, you know, this moment in time. It's just a moment in that bigger picture of seven generations. And the hope is that you and I and and all the Indigenous leaders in Calgary that have been doing amazing work for a long time, that, you know, there's always something for the next generation. Because if we're not working for the next generation, what's the point, you know? And I think that's the biggest difference between non-Natives and Indigenous leadership when it comes to politics, is that we're thinking long, long term, and they are just thinking, you know, I got uh, three years and twenty days until the next election, right? And that that's that's problematic. That's you can't you can't make good decisions if all you're thinking
1: about is it, will this decision get me reelected in three years? You know. Well, and that's another thing with our municipality. We we're basing things on short short term decisions, and I've heard this a million times. Well, thinking long term, it isn't attractive to the municipality government. And you know what my answer is to that? Well, if the municipality government here in Calgary is so committed to reconciliation, they better start thinking about these these ideas and these teachings that are already here and have been here since before time. So that what you know what there's the municipality and the citizens that you know there's so many complaints about how long these projects and these plans take to actually, you know, thrive and to actually see the light of day, if we, if we utilize the traditional teachings of seven generations, that would actually accommodate these cha- these long changes and take away that complaining, because we're preparing for this the changes, those long-term changes, mm-hmm. and we're not pushing them. So those, those are the kind of ideas that I am bringing to the table, that we can no longer be you know, the one thing I did get from the anti-racism forum, the way the municipality of Calgary does their business currently is no longer good enough. Yeah. And how are we going to change that? Well, we already have that roadmap here in Calgary, and that's the Treaty 7 teachings. Yes. That's oh, gonna, That's going to take us forward.
0: Yes. You know, yeah.
1: reconciliation is the roadmap to that shared future.
0: Agreed. What a great quote. I hope I quote that regularly. <laughs> um, one of the things that I talked about when I ran was um, it's funny to me because even in non-Indigenous circles that create these great plans of like, you know, the um, Canadian uh, Coalition of Municipalities Against Racism or whatever it was called uh, anti-racism coalition. And I'm like, you guys aren't even following your own thing that you agreed to. What the heck? And and so like add that with TRC or the White Goose Flying Report, like it, it's not this the, the stir- current status quo is absolutely unacceptable, unacceptable whatsoever. So my hope is is that people start seeing that bigger picture. I um I wanted to ask you about um like something that's never been done before, and that's mm-hmm. the bigger idea of you know Indian Act leadership and collaboration with the municipality. One of the worst moments I had when I ran was there was this law firm, I won't name them, but they have this big gathering prior to an election and they bring in all of the chairs from the uh, municipalities and the um, counties together. And they talk about the new uh, changes provincially that would affect municipalities and counties and such. So we're having this conversation and the NDP were just elected. And they had said in their mandate letters that they wanted to have, um, you know, communications between municipalities and counties with the local Indigenous leadership. And uh, the reply from the floor from some coward who wouldn't look me in the eye when he said it was, well, we just got to vote out that NDP then, with a lot of nodding heads. And I thought, you racist jerks. Here you all are sitting in these leadership positions, you know, being open and honest with your racism. And you know what? There, It wasn't just me in that room that was Indigenous. Like at that moment, the, the Indigenous, we wouldn't look at each other in the eye. We just all knew, you racist. It was an awful moment, I'm not going to lie. So the idea of collaboration in this new idea of reconciliation um, and truth, What what is collaboration with 3D 7 look like
1: for you? Well, collaboration means that we need to start putting those voices at the table. And currently they're not, and I, where I'm seeing it tremendously is in a lot of these movements that, you know, we've seen since last year, um, since the George, George Floyd incident in the States uh, that are actually coming here to Mohkinsis. Uh, Even within those movements, they're forgetting about the messaging that's already here. The people that are already here, you know, and one of the issues that I do talk about here is uh, the traditional police force, the Blackfoot police force here in uh, Treaty 7 territory. See, these people, they have rights to to the land. They have ceremonies to the land. They've been here since before time. So who's gonna go and tell these traditional knowledge keepers that the plan is to actually write them off the face of Treaty 7 in defund. You know, those are not the solutions to me. I am all up for innovation. I am all up for ideas. I will not stand behind hashtags that look, that have not looked at the bigger picture. And like I said, if we are gonna actually be committed to reconciliation, it is about understanding the knowledge that's already here in Treaty 7, and that's been here since time immemorial. And that's not being acknowledged.
0: And you know what, I'm going to expand on that. So the United Nations Declaration on Rights of Indigenous People talk about our own justice systems, our own existing um, societies like the Brave Dog Society, that would be one of those societies that have already been implementing Indigenous justice systems. And, you know, uh, we had this problem back in the 90s where Indigenous were somehow following under this umbrella of multiculturalism and it's not like that and I think a lot that's the problem with the term BIPOC right is that we're all umbrellaed again like this idea of multiculturalism and yes we can be united in fighting racism but we were the original peoples to these lands and the law is the inherent Laws, the injustice laws that the Brave Dog Society was already implementing and, and doing for thousands of years, that has been sidestepped in this entire conversation. And I and that's what we're missing here when we don't have Indigenous leadership at the center of this conversation of reconciliation and truth. We're totally missing the truth of the Brave Dog Society.
1: Absolutely. And that's where I see it going. And for a person like myself who has served frontline in a uniform, we have, to be, we have to be looking at solutions that bring everybody to the table. And the fact of the matter is in, 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 municipal, in municipal politics, you're gonna to have to sit down with people sometimes that you don't like, that you don't agree with, that you don't see eye to eye with, but it is about taking the good innovations and the ideologies from that and actually seeing that come together for the community. And you're right, with all these movements that are coming into Mukinsis, nothing has been acknowledged to the, to the rules and the rights that have already been here since before time. And you know, we, it's not like we were lawless in this country in, you know, before the settlers came. We had systems, we had governance, we had structures, and we had police. Yes how are we going to acknowledge that tradition and for me i'm tired of standing up for myself at this point because i wore I wore a uniform and and served on the front line Mm. and i you know i i've had to fight because i'm native i've had to fight because i'm a native woman and now you want me to stand up and fight because i served front line and i gave an oath to canada to serve all citizens you know and and i also really you know, I take a lot of my knowledge from my knowledge keepers, who are Brave Dog Society, and that's the name of the Blackfoot Police Force here. Mm. Yes, we can't write them off the face of their traditional land. Yes, and that's not right. Agreed,
0: and and you know, we're not even giving context to the Ralph Report, uh, Blood Tribe Police. Um, Sutina police like the, there's so much conversation that we, we I mean we only have an hour we you can come back anytime and we can talk about all of it but the bottom line is is the ignorance is so deep when it comes to Indigenous relations here in the city you know and again it's not like these reports are hidden they're public it, it, it's just that you know we can't even talk about changing Langevin school <laughs> we, like, we're not even there I mean, the lowest hanging fruit of reconciliation conversations, and, and people can't get past that either. So like the racism is pretty bad, no question, um, and, and the racism is rooted in ignorance. Maybe we should even reframe it that way, where it's like the ignorance is so rampant about the issues here, and, the, and so you have this like incredible perspective from the Blackfoot so I'm sat too. So I come down here. My mom came down here, had me. And, um, you know, like that bigger picture where it's like to me, I see all of these different um, Indigenous perspectives. And not one of them, not even a pan Indigenous perspective, is being brought forward into colonial politics. And I just want to give a quick plug right now to all Indigenous people listening, every single one of you. I have met people who are professors who have master's degrees, doctorates, who are uh, lawyers, who have multiple degrees, they know zero about Indigenous people. So if you are an articulate Indigenous person, you have every freaking right to be at these tables, no matter if it's a committee for poverty reduction, whether it's running for city council, whether it's running for federal politics, provincial politics, never discount your knowledge. Because the most so-called educated non-Indigenous know zero about you, and they have people like me and Marilyn in their ear on their text, telling them things, and they still goes in one ear and out the other. So never discount your uh, inherent knowledge, your inherent values, and your inherent leadership. You deserve to be at all these tables.
1: Absolutely, and you know. One of the things that I did hear when the MMIWG report came out was uh, an elder stating that she is not uh, for these new Canadian systems like, you know, municipal government and all that. But for me, my, you know, I I have to dispute her. And, you know, I I do this all the time with my residential school generation because they had their time to do what they had to do. And this is my time now. Mm -hmm. You know, this is my path. So what I say to that is the only way to actually make true change happen in the long term is to learn how to how those structures function and how we can reform them and change them and make them better for everybody. And the only way that we do that is to play the game.
0: Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I'm down with you there. And well, obviously, I mean, I, I'm going to support your campaign in every way I can. And I w- want to encourage people, you know, retweet Marilyn um we see her on facebook follow her on facebook sign up for our newsletter on the website for maryland north Bay again, and um endorse her fundraise you know if you live in ward 7 this is your candidate you know find out what ward you're in if you're having problems with that my god Marilyn and i and the team will help you in every capacity that we have to make sure that we get you to the polls if you want to vote for maryland um yeah so i i know for me i didn't want to run but i felt like i was forced to run and i want you to tell us what it was like for you to make the decision to run
1: it was a very hard decision there it was probably the hardest decision i made in my life and that includes me going to basic training in the military which i will never do again no But on the other hand, <clears throat> this is what how I actually came to that conclusion was uh, YYC ask her. They were kind of in the, my hindsight last year, asking me if I wanted to take this grooming program, where you know the eventual, you know, the eventual path was actually to put me at you know to, to do this campaigning. And at that time, I agreed to take their programming. I didn't take, I didn't. Pl- I didn't have no plans on running. And now that I think about it, the reason why I sat on that decision like that is because, number one, we don't have leadership that reflects what our community looks like. No one in in power looks like me. No one in power has that, that dual world messaging like me. So, you know, I knew I was going to be that first person. And did I want to be that first person again? You know, So that was one of the decisions, one of the biggest things that that was a factor in all of this. Number two, uh, believe it or not, I am absolutely terrified of racists. That is actually my biggest, because we didn't know that in the military. We all wore green uniform. I was not conditioned or trained on how to handle those type of people. So coming out, I was, and that, that was the first thing I ran into in this campaign, was, you know, the, the crazy I call him the crazy coffee man, you know, the Kevin J. Johnson. <laughs> I know, but it's good. Cause uh like
0: I knew, I don't know, I I've only experienced racism and I never knew how to articulate it. I didn't understand what racism like I wasn't able to articulate racism until I was 30. And when I had my daughter in the um, hospital and I was othered and I I just couldn't explain it because here I was, you know downtown girl drafting wells and pipelines my husband made good money in the oil and gas industry second generation oil and gas but it was I didn't realize the federal jurisdiction on my health care card was like that red flag to nurses and doctors to treat me poorly and to be awful to me and I was like you know I unpacked a lot of sexism in my 20s because of domestic violence but in my 30s, I had to start unpacking racism and really understanding what systemic racism was. And it, and it, I always tell people, you know, if we had a Black Act, we had a Jew Act, you'd all lose your shit. But we're all okay with the Indian Act. You know, that's, like, that's screaming systemic racism. And yet... People are so unaware of all of the racism that we have to endure. And now, of course, now that we're in the pandemic and all my traumas like on the top of the surface, I'm like, that's racist, that's racist, that's racist, this is racist, that's racist.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I hope we eventually see a day when we don't have to do those kind of, you know, pointing out society what is and what isn't. You know, we should be all on the same page together because we, we, the fact of the matter is Calgary has one of the biggest, you know, diversity and culture that exists in Canada. Yes. But what is right in Toronto and Vancouver is not going to be right for Calgary. What is right in the States is not going to be right for Calgary. Agreed. How are we going to make it right for Calgary? And you know what, this is a big messaging I always say, it doesn't matter where you come from on Turtle Island, as long as you call Mohkinsis Calgary your home, your treaty too. Mm -hmm. And how are we going to start conducting ourselves that way? Yes, agreed.
0: Oh, I'm so grateful you came on my show. Marilyn, as uh, the campaign unfolds, if you want to come on, you're welcome back anytime. Um, I have a ridiculously long exit, and I'd love for you to chime in if you hear me say something. And uh, you're welcome to say what you need to say about it, because it's, uh, you know, it's more resources than anything. But, you know, you're welcome to chime in. Sounds good. Awesome. Thanks again. I'm proud this podcast has given solutions, including cultural safety training and cultural first aid in almost every single one of them to create a safer space for Indigenous, people of colour, folks with disabilities, LGBTQ2 to speak. Uh, thank you, Cheryl Ward, Chelsea Branch and Alicia Frickin for creating caretohelp.bc.ca. What is Indigenous cultural safety and why should care about it? So there's more resources for folks their work with those cultural action tools that I've said over a hundred times in my podcast. So support indigenous work like that as part of your reconciliation work and settler understanding. I'm just lucky enough to repeat it here. Internalized racism and lateral violence, which you and I could do a whole episode, i sure, on <laughs> another day, is I'm another, sure. right? <laughs> it's another form of indigenous or a violence against indigenous or marginalized folks. That experience uh, the structure of racism. What is internalized racism by Donna Bevins is a great resource at racial equity tools.org. Uh, there's do's and don'ts bystander intervention by the American Friends Service Committee. Uh, if you see or experience racism here in Alberta, you can report it at act to end racism or text 587 587- 506-3838. And we're seeing lots of Nazi flags. Hey, we haven't even talked about that. Jeez, you got to come back. Indigenous. <laughs> <laughs> Indigenous have been talking about issues, sharing our traumas in reports, commissions, public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor our words, honor the treaties. Listen to politicians and their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize the marginalized in their budget with gender equity plus, if they're cutting violence prevention programs. Indigenous education, uterus health choices, gay straight alliances, lack for human rights of migrants, m- immigrants, folks with disability. Know that your vote to that uh, person is negatively impacting indi- uh, marginalized and Indigenous people. Demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to actions, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, the multiple reforms, uh, reports about child welfare reform the violence prevention programs, and now 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls and Two-Spirit. Denying these reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational, justice, and health institutions with multiple reports that say the same things. Demand change from election platforms and politicians. If they don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, sexism, they literally have zero business running. This should be understood by all local politicians, parties, community organizations, sports clubs, etc. Really great article I said out loud is uh, "Truth Before Truth: How Non-Indigenous Canadians Become Allies." Go look it up. If you're experiencing emotional distress after anything we talked about today and want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline. At 855 242 3310. It's 24 7. You can also text at hopeforwellness.ca. If it's more related to missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two spirit, you can call 844 413 6649. It is also a 24 7 crisis line. For non Indigenous, there are distress centers in your area and usually a functioning 211, but you can also call 833 456 4566. Again, if you're experiencing racism in Alberta, you can actually text it to 587-506-3838 and stophate.ab.ca if you see something in Alberta. Uh, the Trevor Project has a ton of resources or LGBTQ2 plus youth peer support, all of that stuff. So there's lots of different numbers, but it's really important that you can look at lifevoice.ca for all of those LGBTQ2 plus crisis supports. And of course, Kids Help Phone at 1-800-668-6868. I actually used uh, Kids Help Phone when I was younger. Hey, I mean, they didn't understand and I didn't understand what was happening to me, but thank God for them. Jesus. Violence is an everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. That's why I started this podcast, to speak freely without interruption, tone police, leadership shaming, gaslighting questions, because many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinion. They sure want to tell us theirs, usually by people who know nothing about Indigenous colonialism, the constant surveillance of our people, protests, vigils, and rights, just typical microaggressions, people dealing with internalized racism, gatekeepers, Folks who live off the status quo, or people who are really in their trauma and stop people from uh, doing the work and deplete personal resources. Internal and external racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people. I wanna say thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mom, of what strength looks like through your example. I wanna thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt, my stepmom for teaching me what a proud culture is through her Austrian family. Uh, And she taught me to be a proud Calgarian. It is through her I am a second-generation proud Calgarian. Thank you to my husband, Darcy, for producing and editing this show. On top of being my husband, childhood friend, and father of our child down the road of the Red Road, he has witnessed the decades of sexism and racism I've experienced. And to our child, who we are are blessed to learn from every day, we are honoured you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. My hope is that my daughter and my family will be proud in the future of us trying to discuss these present-day issues. My Native uh, Calgarian Patreon account is available to pledge and support. Thank you to previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc@gmail.com, at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments. I also have a YouTube channel where you can go and subscribe and nativecalgarian.com has the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. And I want to end by giving sad eye to those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not tradish and my beautiful cousin (laughs) would respond or you'd be in my dish.
1: (laughs) I was thinking the same thing, Michelle.
0: Well, you know, my people are the hair people. So like we used to show up all the time in rabbit skin. And uh, and it was funny, so I told my Métis friend this, and she's like, oh, when you said hair people, I thought you meant like long hair people. I'm like, no, rabbit skin. That's what makes that joke so damn funny. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think my favorite is still the one of, we know Adam and Eve were not native because they would have sat down and cooked that snake. <laughs> <laughs> My first time hearing that joke. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being on my show, Marilyn. Thank you so much, Michelle, for everything. And uh, we will touch base again along this campaign trail.